0: Hello, everybody. This is here comes the Spider Cast number one. This is the this is a weekly podcast produced by the Comic Book Syndicate. I am your co-host, Mike L,
1: and I'm your other co-host, Joshua Murr.
0: Excellent. And so, um, so this is joining uh, two other podcasts we produced. One is Flea Market Fantasy. Uh, focusing on random Bronze Age comics. And the other one is Quasar Chronology, Mm -hmm. focusing on um, the chronological appearances of the superhero Quasar. This one is dedicated strictly to our favorite superhero, Spider-Man, specifically focusing on the 1980s decade. Right. Um, And the reason that we're... We're we're not exactly starting at January 1980. We're we're actually uh, starting in June 1980. And the reason that we are starting there is because I thought it would be a good... Uh, to start with the, um, the tenure of the writer Roger Stern, which actually coincides with the first month of uh, Denny O'Neill taking over the editorial reigns of Spider-Man. And so, um, before we go any further, Josh, I would like to know why you love Spidey.
1: Ooh, okay. Uh, I love Spider-Man because uh, he was one of the first uh, heroes that I read in, in comics as a kid. And what okay. I like about him most is that he has everyday issues like every other person where a lot of the other superheroes, they kind of have like this like fantastical life where Peter Parker still has to go home and deal with acne and, and girlfriends breaking up with him and, you know, taking care of his aunt and trying to get the rent in on time. That's, that's absolutely really what I like about Spider-Man.
0: That, that's word for word exactly why I like him, yeah. and you know I've been reading a lot of Superman and Batman lately and um, I think the impression I get is that they're 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 more like Greek gods mm-hmm. um, you know Superman is um, all, all powerful he has a fortress of solitude um, you know he comes from another planet kind of a, an exotic um, uh, background Batman is a millionaire Batman has the Batcave and all of his gadgets Peter Parker is he's always struggling for money he doesn't have an elaborate headquarters right right he doesn't have i mean he's sort he's originally uh, depicted to be sort of average looking and so yeah i think the feeling i get is it's almost like superman and batman are like rock stars or or they're almost like elvis or something and peter parker is more like a I don't want to say a punk rocker, but like a garage rock kind of like you get the feeling that you could be him. Right. Whereas with Superman and Batman, they're so beyond anything that we could ever be, you know, like that I do love them, but I can't relate to them as much.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree.
0: And, you know, I was a fan, like the first Spider-Man comic I ever bought was actually Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man number 57, I think. Okay. And that coincidentally, it was written by Roger Stern. And so, uh, growing up, I, was, I kind of always had his name in the back of my head. Like, I enjoyed his run on um, Avengers. I enjoyed his run on Spider- or, Sorry, on Superman. Now, have you, were you ever a Roger Stern fan?
1: Yeah, um, I also kind of grew up reading the, uh, his run because that's, um, that was really my first kind of Spider-Man comic is, is uh, the Roger Stern run. And, and that's because my dad used to collect them. So he has like a bunch of long boxes that, you know, he just kind of let me have at, and, and I absolutely fell in love with with comics and Spider Man through reading uh, the Roger Stern Run of Spider Man. So
0: excellent. Yeah. Now, now here and here's the funny thing is that um when I was a little kid, my, it, I mean I didn't I couldn't articulate this, but in my head I thought. Every comic is great. Every writer is great. Every artist is great. But as the years went by, and I would sort of reread my stack of comics, um, of randomly numbered comics, I never got two comics in a row of any right. one series. Um, one of the things I noticed is that I, I did enjoy rereading the issue of Spectacular I had by Roger Stern a lot more than I did the issue of Amazing Spider Man I had. And it wasn't really? until I was older that I realized well, the Amazing Spider Man comic I had was written by Denny O'Neill. Now, no offense to Denny O'Neill, but that made me a little bit suspicious of him, despite his reputation as this great writer. And as years have, the years have gone by, I've kind of grown to dislike Denny O'Neill's writing. And we're we're definitely going to cover some of his stories mm. coming up soon in this podcast. I don't know if you have an impression of Denny O'Neill going in. Like, are you familiar
1: with his work? I'm I'm a little bit familiar, but I don't have too much of a an impression.
0: Okay, okay. I mean, he's most famous for. Um, He he first became famous by sort of helping reboot Batman with Neil Adams Mm -hmm. in like the late 60s and early 70s. I think he was the first, he might have been the first ever... Um, person to work at Marvel after Stan Lee and Jack Kirby rebooted the company in the early sixties. I might oh, be really? wrong about that, but he was yeah. He was very young at the time. He had a, a, a job briefly for like a couple weeks, and then he went to work for DC. I think I'm I'm pretty sure that's oh. that's the case. But anyway, and then he also became famous for the ill-fated reboot of Wonder Woman, where he gave her her white sort of jump jumpsuit. Okay, it took yeah. away all her powers. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so. And then he anyway time goes by and at this point he's back at marvel he had done a few other assignments and now he's the editor of spider-man and so i guess one of the first things he did was he hired uh roger stern to take over um spectacular spider-man so we are starting here um we're starting in july 1980 but we also threw in spectacular number 43 because because that was the month before in june 1980 Mm -hmm. so the, the the plan for this podcast is to, at the very least, we're aiming to cover um, up until, I mean, you know, who knows? Depending on how things go, I'd like to at least get into the point where they're married. Uh, Maybe, uh, you know, and then see how things are going, see if people are enjoying the podcast. I'd like to go at least to that point, possibly farther. But um, as you can see by the glorious image um that's sort of the general uh, thumbnail for our podcast we are going to be getting to the black costume which i'm really excited yeah, about that's gonna be a because lot that's of around the time yeah it's gonna be great that's around the time that i sort of started buying spider-man so that it's a it's a very you know it's um it sort of defines the decade as you know the decade where he eventually got his black costume mm-hmm. and he had it for a few years um, okay, so anyway, so um, other than that, I think uh, we're ready to start talking about these comics. And so, the, now, I don't know which order you read them in, but I'd like to start with Peter Parker, uh, number 43, if that's cool. Okay, yeah. And I've got that one. Now, I read these, I've got a really cool um, trade paperback called Marvel Visionaries, uh, Roger Stern, Spider-Man, Volume 1. And it starts out with Amazing, number 206, but like I said, we're going to read uh, Spectacular 43, or sorry, 43 first. And so I read mine on nice, you know, not shiny paper, but nice thick white paper with the nice, you know, somewhat original color scheme. Right. Uh, you read yours digitally, right? Yeah, I
1: read mine digitally on the Marvel Unlimited app.
0: Okay, pretty cool. I should have. I'm gonna have to get into that eventually. But um, so basically, you know, going into this issue right away, the first thing I love about it is that Peter Parker is a student.
1: Yeah. You know. That that's something that I really kind of. Um, miss a lot of times in like a lot of the different adaptations of Spider-Man is is like his student life. Right. Um, I mean, more so in the movies I think that you kind of get less and less of that. To focus sure. more on the, you know, the superhero side of him. So seeing him like right away starting off in school was really fun.
0: So, you know, there's this ongoing debate about whether or not Spider-Man should age, whether Peter Parker should age, blah, blah, blah. I think the great thing about keeping him in college is that it's it's one thing to say that, you know, Peter Parker is in grade 10 for the rest of his life. Right. But it's another thing to kind of, to appease those people that insist that it's somewhat realistic uh, passage of time. I mean, you can be in college forever, right? You yeah. can be a part-time yeah, but- student. You can be getting two <laughs> credits per year. Who cares, right? But I just love that idea of seeing him in class mm-hmm. and having new classmates every year, having a different girlfriend every year and have him. You know, because the cool thing is, is when I started reading Spider-Man, he was in college. And as a kindergarten student, at least you can relate. You can be like, okay, he's in school. I'm in school. Right. Right? So, yeah, it is. I'm, and you feel the same way.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. As a kid, it was it was really cool to see um, a kid go from being this teenager in school to, you know, putting on the costume and fighting crime.
0: Mm-hmm, like, it, you know, mm-hmm. and,
1: and especially since when he puts on the costume, anybody could be under that mask, right? So it really right. felt like like anybody could actually do this. If if this kid, you know, this nerdy kid in school who's having girl problems can go out and fight crime, then why couldn't I? So Absolutely. it's just so relatable. And, and that's, I think, a lot of the charm of Spider-Man for me. And I think that's also why he's been so successful and is as big as he is now.
0: I think you're totally right. I think that's it. Now, okay, so I gotta say, of these four comics that we're talking about today, this one's probably my favorite. Um, yeah. What's your impression of this issue?
1: Yeah, this one was actually kind of fun. I sometimes I'm like, I like the big bad villain a lot of the times, so kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, I was a little worried going into this one that I wasn't gonna like it as much with just kind of like a C class villain. But this one was this sure. one was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I had I had uh, had some charm to it.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think okay. The first thing is this of all the four, this one felt because even though we're starting with Roger Stern, he only wrote two of these. Um, he skipped hit this the next issue of is Spectacular, but the, the difference is noticeable. Mm-hmm. I feel like his characterization is more what I feel peter parker is you know the dialogue was more closer to what peter Parker yeah
1: i can completely agree with that i mean yeah and just i I think especially the uh like the thought bubbles like his narration throughout the whole thing is very spider-man and i think he really gets that in this issue especially compared to the the, to the next one that we're going to read right
0: right um As far as the art, um, Mike Zek is one of my favorite artists, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately in this story, the art suffers a little bit, I can assume it's because of the inker Steve Mitchell, it might just be because Mike Zek's not quite as good at interiors as he is at covers, but what uh, what did you think of the art?
1: Yeah, there were definitely uh, some panels that were a little bit, um, I guess, a little lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's one panel where I think they only, like he only drew half of Peter Parker's shirt. And it's like one of the, okay. it's one of the, the panels where it's like, just like a, the background is a solid color. There's no actual like, um, set or anything, but
0: okay. Okay. It was just kind of,
1: maybe it was just supposed to be a talking hand, but yeah, it, it was something that I kind of noticed in this one that the, the, it was, I think maybe one of my, you know, least favorite for the four Sure, that we sure. Sure,
0: sure. Okay. So, uh, you know, we talked about uh, him being a student. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I like, you know, one of one of my favorite things about Spider-Man is the web swinging mm-hmm. through New York and we get some of that. We get him on the rooftops looking through skylights, right. you know, um, investigating a crime and in this story we're introduced to, I believe this is the first appearance of the character Madame Belladonna and mm-hmm. um, Maybe not the greatest uh, villain, but, again, talking about Roger Stern, there's always... I mean, there's something about his dialogue mm-hmm. that I really like. And there's a scene on um, page 17 when uh, Spider-Man confronts Madame Belladonna again. And then Madame, Madame Belladonna responds with, You surprised me, Spider-Man. I didn't think you'd be fool enough to cross me again knowing what I can do to you. Now, that's not great dialogue, but it's just very casually realistic. Right. And... Um, I don't know. I, I just think that um, he he again. He's not a Roger Stern's not a genius. This isn't revolutionary. But I think that of all the writers at this time, he might have been the best one working at Marvel. Mm-hmm. That's what I think, anyway.
1: Um, yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I mean, like what you were saying with like the specific dialogue, and mm-hmm. also I think um, the fact that he had Spider-Man uh, trying to come up with ways to. Get over some of the new weapons and like the gas that she's using against him. I think that's also very right. Spider-Man is kind of like the detective side of it,
0: where right. he's kind
1: of like solving problems that are coming up as he's going. Like use it, like drinking the vinegar and which is yes. which is kind of goofy, but but still fun. But and then he also like sprays himself uh, a web filter for under his mask, mask so he doesn't breathe mm-hmm. in as much of the gas so it's it's kind of fun to see him also problem solving and it makes I think the, the villain a little bit more believable and fun because it's actually something he's got to try to get over rather than alright let's get through this let's punch this bad guy and, and get on with it
0: you know that's a great point because I, I think if this was a, a 1980 Batman story he'd probably have some bat gadget that mm-hmm. would get him out of the situation. If it was a 1980 Superman story, he'd probably use his powers in a, almost like a deus ex machina way that would just solve the problem. <laughs> right. Whereas Peter Parker, because Peter Parker is a, is also a science student, right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever, I'm not I'm sure if it's chemistry or whatever he is, but the point is, is that he figures out the problem by using science, right? Yeah. And it's so it shows that he's smart, but he doesn't have the wealth or the resources. So he, everything's kind of handmade, right? right? Like he he makes the web himself out of his webbing yeah, he even and mentions, sorry, the mask. Yeah,
1: yeah. He even mentions in this uh, issue that he wish he had had enough money to just buy a gas mask, but he had to kind of improvise and make one on on his own, which is mm-hmm. so fun. Yeah.
0: Now the other really important thing about this issue is that um, this is Roger Stern's first Spider-Man uh, story. It's also the first appearance of Roderick Kingsley, who the casual you know listener might not really know of, but through Retcon not not, not through Retcons, but through the correct uh, revisions of history, we find out that Roderick Kingsley is in fact the hobgoblin. Right. Which I'm sure you're you're, you're familiar with this, yes. right?
1: yeah.
0: Okay. Because, I mean, I grew up with the Hobgoblin. As far as I was concerned, the Hobgoblin was Ned Leeds. But then maybe 10 years after the, the big revelation, Roger Stern came back and did a story called, what was it? Hobgoblin Lives, I think. And that's where you find out that his original intention was for Roderick Kingsley to be the Hobgoblin. So what is your impression of this character in his first appearance here?
1: Uh, In his first appearance here, he's a little goofy for sure. I mean, Uh he... So they kind of introduce him as like this fashion designer that's stealing a bunch of ideas from other people. And he's, yeah, spindly and, you know, ganky. It's kind of Mm -hmm. how, how they describe him and show him. And he's kind of like... Yeah, like a little weasel almost. He... He, like, immediately gets mad at Spider-Man for saving him in, in a very, like, right. J. Jonah fashion. So, yes, yeah, yes. He, he he is kind of, like, weaselly and, and like, almost like a little pest, almost, <laughs> in this <laughs> well, here's instruction.
0: A, so, I, I get a lot of my facts from a great website called marvel.fandom.com. Okay. Wait, forward slash wiki, forward slash Peter Parker's (laughs) Spectacular Spider-Man. But um, one of the notes they have here is that Roderick Kingsley was supposed to be gay. So it says here, yeah, it says here that Peter sees Roderick out with a centerfold model and remarks that he never figured Kingsley for a, quote, ladies' man. And then it says, at the time the story was published, openly gay, gay characters were not featured in comics, as those were the sensibilities at the time of publication. Huh. So I don't, I don't really, lo- I don't really know if, um, I mean, it's pretty obvious from reading the story that that's how he's supposed to be depicted. Right. But um, I don't know if it was ever open or if it was just hinted at. But I don't know. It's like and now that you know that, does that seem obvious to you, or?
1: Uh, I guess so. I mean. Mm-hmm. I, maybe uh, if they were going for like a stereotypical kind of mm. depiction, maybe. But I, I think that maybe at the time it would have been obvious. But sure, sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. I guess it, you're right. It's like the yeah, like it was a more narrow. There was a more narrow um, field of, I guess you could say, stereotypes. Right. So that because I mean, whereas,
1: like to, yeah, today it, anybody can, you know have any type of personality right it doesn't right it it does kind of feel like a very narrow vision like short-sighted way of of creating a character sure so yeah maybe i just didn't pick up on that right away because of that just kind of thinking of like not knowing that that information prior and then kind of having i guess more of an open mind today rather than compared to people in the the 80s but
0: Absolutely. Yep. Now, the other thing I want to point out with the story is I really like how at the end of the story Mm -hmm. and Peter Parker points it out, but it's still cool. He says in the last panel, he says, oh, well, at least I stopped Bella's gang and I do have a sample of her gas, so I don't have to worry about my webbing falling apart again. And then at the very end, he says, great, just great. I must be the only guy in town who can win and lose at the same time. It's, again, it's that classic Stan Lee ending, right? The Peter Parker luck. I mean, I just love the fact that he doesn't get a clean victory. It's so cool, eh? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So overall, again, so this is June 1980 Mm -hmm. and, you know, late Bronze Age, I guess you could say. But, um,
1: I mean, do you think this is a good place to jump in? To uh, to eighty Spider Man, yeah, I think so. I think if it's a good place for anybody to jump in, I mean, Roger Stern is mm-hmm. really great. This is a really great uh, example of who's who Spider Man and who Peter Parker is. So mm-hmm. yeah, I would like if somebody were to say, yeah, I'm going to start, you know, start at this point. I would say that's great.
0: yeah Yeah. it's an excellent it's an excellent point and Mm. unfortunately um this era of spider-man doesn't get as much attention as obviously the stan lee stuff Mm -hmm. in the early days or even like you know people still talk about the clone saga and carnage and a lot of times this this era it's almost sort of low-key because like we talked about there isn't a big a-list villain right there isn't a big uh event storyline it's just a really kind of low-key story but it does introduce roderick Kingsley and so for that reason it's really important Mm
1: -hmm. alright and the uh, so the next comic that we read was The Amazing Spider-Man number 206 it was July 1980 Um, yeah this one uh, was also written by Roger Stern Uh, and yeah I I thought that this one was pretty average sure Um, this one didn't really stick out to me as one that was really great but I also wasn't like upset by it by any means it was just like yeah it was was a comic it was okay
0: well here's the other thing Mm -hmm. is i I did a little bit of research but to be honest uh, when i'm reading these monthly comics or when i'm reviewing them i actually want to go in blind because i want to be like a reader coming in off the street and just picking up this issue and from what i gather i think this might be a way of kind of explaining um a lot of the the, the the previous depiction of Jay Jonah Jameson that had been going on for a while, so all these all this explanation for his behavior, I don't know if that was planned all ahead of time or if that's just Roger Stern. Uh, or Denny O'Neill coming in and going, okay, like we don't tying like the way those that
1: Jay- pieces together. Kind right, of thing. right,
0: right. I'm not really sure because maybe someone out there's read it. Unfortunately, we haven't, so I'm not really sure. Yeah, that, but that could like
1: definitely just, explain a lot too. Because there's a lot that they yeah. kind of. I, this, this definitely feels like one of those issues where it's kind of tying up loose ends from other series or kind of explaining right. things. Like even even down to um, this, like evil scientist guy. He's he like briefly mentions like three other villains. Um, and says that he was yes. behind it the whole time. Like I'm not um, fam- like too familiar with him, and maybe he sure. was there the whole time, and he he was like a recurring villain in the shadows or not. But sure,
0: but yeah, it does feel like a sort of a continuity patch, mm-hmm. and so. You know, we kinda just talked about whether the issue of Spectacular we reviewed was a good a good jumping on point. This I would say is not a good no. jumping on point. Yeah. It's it feels more like the end of a of an of a previous
1: storyline, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I can agree with uh, that. Yeah.
0: yeah. So the big difference with this issue is that it's drawn by John Byrne. So what did you think of the artwork?
1: Uh, it wasn't bad. It was pretty clear, I would say yes like it, it, the the line work was pretty solid and I don't know if that's um, if that's you know thanks to him or if it was the inker
0: yeah Gene, Gene. so the inks are by Gene Day it does look a little bit the line's a little bit thicker than I'm used to mm-hmm. from John Byrne so it's I mean the line work is uh, Gene Day but I, you know one thing I, I'll give John Byrne credit his storytelling is all pretty clear yeah usually and so yeah this is definitely a story you can follow unfortunately a lot of it is flashback and exposition yeah so there's not so there's a lot of that going on but there is some story you know some good storytelling like I love seeing him in the Daily Bugle I love kind Mm -hmm. of touching base with the supporting cast there like uh, Glory and J. Jonah Jameson and um, Robbie Robertson so I love all that stuff um, you know, the, you know, some nice overhead shots of the bugle layout and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that kind of stuff was cool, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that there's also some fun stuff with uh, some of the action that goes on outside on the rooftops when he's tracking down where the signal's coming from, mm-hmm. where those were. So it, I think that um, you can definitely clearly follow the path and kind of see the action that's going on. Um, right. Particularly on page 11 for me, it might be 10 for you, I'm not quite sure, but 11 <laughs> on the Marvel Unlimited app. It's when, uh, uh, yeah, when Spider Man is right up at the, the water tower on the roof. Yes. Yeah, he, he's got like, he can, it's it starting to get really strong and he gets knocked out for a second. You can see in that first panel, like the pain. And then in the second sure. one, you see him grab onto the ledge and the third one lift himself mm-hmm. up. And then start running towards the the water tower in the next and i think that that action really kind of flows nicely together
0: you know what and it's one of those things where if you just ignore it, the thought bubbles you could f- clearly follow exactly what's yeah. going on right yeah. yeah for sure you're right and then it's like then there's the reaction shot of him with his spider sense and then, cut and then there's him. a shot of him tearing open the water tower yeah. and then seeing the the ray gun or whatever it is yeah it's really cool mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then, yeah, he, uh, he and then I love I love the fact that this gun is shooting these rays and we can see them. Right. A- am I crazy or is it, it looks like it's made out of like hemp rope? You know what I mean? Like he's a, he's avoiding it as if it's like physically there and he could touch right. it. Right. It's a little bit ridiculous, <laughs> but that's nah, I, I can you know, I can accept it. Yeah. It's kind of funny. eh?
1: Yeah, it was fun. I, um, I also thought it was kind of goofy that there, that there was like a little uh, walkie talkie in the ray gun after he destroyed it
0: okay wait where is that
1: that's on on. uh page 12 the next page afterwards okay yeah because there's like a he he swings off of the antenna on the building and knocks the the gun off of the stand and then this little like ball pops up out of the machine and it's like walkie-talkie kind of thing and it's (laughs) he's talking to spider-man through there Right, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it's funny because these old villains, they it's funny because they always have a way to, like, they have cameras everywhere, yeah. they have microphones everywhere, right? Yeah. They can always communicate with you no matter where you are. So, you know, we get the classic J. Jonah Jameson um, tied up on the bed or whatever. So, right. it, I mean, it's pretty standard stuff, but like we said, it's kind of wrapping up um, a previous writer's mm-hmm. run, which actually, I believe it was Marv Wolfman. I think he was the previous okay. writer. And it's a fairly acclaimed run. I haven't read it yet, but... um. We may have to get to that in, the, you know, in a future rendition yeah. uh, in the 1970s rendition of uh, Here Comes the Spider-Cast, yeah, but fun. not yet. Um, I also want to point out the, the very uh, last page here with a shot of Spider-Man swinging away. I think that's a really good yeah, shot. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some really um,
1: great J. Jonah Jameson stuff in here too. Um, like the fact that he lost his memory, but him being so angry at the fact that he hates Spider-Man like snapped him out of his amnesia. Right. That's yep. that's kind of funny. And then he him thinking that he's the one that shut down the power by unplugging the coffee maker or whatever it was. Yeah, that yeah. was
0: funny. Um, yeah. So overall, I definitely like we said, probably not a good jumping on point, but definitely an enjoyable issue. Mm-hmm. Just just not a good place to start if you're reading Spider-Man. Yeah.
1: All right. Yeah. So the the next one we uh, we read was Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man number forty four. Um, yeah, the Vengeance Gambit is um, what it was called. It was it was pretty fun. I thought it starts off with kind of like a street level uh, story with Spider-Man mm-hmm. kind of dealing with some mob bosses and the fallout of the kingpin retiring. Um, so and then by the end of it, it kind of you kind of realize it's grown into something more. And, yeah, this one, again, was was a, a fun comic, but, again, maybe not a... I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would necessarily say it's a good or bad jumping-off point, but...
0: Yeah, this one I, I have mixed feelings about, too. Like, mm-hmm. for, on one hand, I've, I always really liked when Spider-Man got mixed up with um, organized crime. Yeah. I just think that's a really cool... Um, like, even back in the Steve Ditko days, there was the Crime Master and all that stuff. So, I I, I think that it kind of works to incorporate supervillains into that world, I think. So, it's really cool. But, yeah, this was a little bit, um, yeah, again, it didn't quite work. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was the the writing or the art. The art is a little bit, it's a little
1: bit ugly. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some, some spots where it's not great.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, um, in particular, like that one mob boss, um, at the, like the funeral was a little weird. I don't yes. know.
0: Yeah. I, I agree. It's like, it's almost like sloppy. Mm-hmm. It's like not, I don't know. I'm used to Spider-Man art, like obviously John Romita, uh, just being so polished and yeah. so perfect. But yeah, this was definitely really sloppy. Um, it also, it, it almost looked like crowded too, you know, like it wasn't. Like, a lot of times you, you, you're looking at the page and it's almost off-putting to see so much uh, text and uh, bubbles. And not to say that that's bad, but it's right. a little bit off-putting. You know, you kind of just go in and sort of hope that it's good. Yeah, you know? I
1: think that in, like, some parts it worked well. Um, mm-hmm. In particular, like, when the when the one mob boss is, or the one uh, gang member is going to steal the jade statue... Yeah, uh, it's very th- that whole page is very crowded, like the panels are kind of crooked and uh, mm-hmm. and like the, there's bubbles everywhere. And it, it feels kind of a, a lot like it's, it's kind of crazy and, and cramped, but it also sure. kind of works for what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it kind of. Lends to the the idea that he himself is kind of in a in a crazy situation and going through the crowds and shoving his way through and kind of adds to the like the panic sure, in that yes. that character is going through. But then there's other pages that are not a whole lot is going on and it, but mm-hmm. there's still so much on the page that it's at times feels like a little too much and too crowded.
0: Right, right. So, yeah,
1: at times I think it works actually kind of in its favor, but mm-hmm. in others, yeah, I agree. It is it is very crowded and kind of cramped.
0: There's also kind of a pet peeve I have. Um, for example, on page 10, mm-hmm. I really don't like it when a large panel is covered
1: up... With, like, three with, small... With smaller... Yeah, yeah
0: like, it, it's one thing if you have, like, say, one. But the way this one's done, it, it just... It, it To me, it affects the composition of the main big panel when you like, what, like, what is this like an S shaped panel? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just kind of awkward. Like, I don't know. I just don't know if I see the advantage of doing it that way.
1: Yeah. I agree with you. Cause I, I think that it works really well for, um, like transitioning from like, you know, this, the small panels on top of the big panel, if it something sure. that connects, but it really feels disconnected in this case. Cause you yes. have, you have him like, showing off and you know showing how strong he is and he's just kind of you know chopping the like these bricks i I assume or like planks of wood Mm. or something and it's just kind of over top of this huge piece of artwork that's i think definitely more interesting than what's going on in the smaller ones
0: so it it really does take away right and it's like even just looking at this page like Mm -hmm. It, it just looks really amateur. Yeah, it it doesn't you know?
1: it doesn't help. Like it like, there's no transition from from the small panels to the big one. There's no like reason that they would be there together.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. That's a very good point, right? Like, there's no yeah. There's no thought put into the choices of of, of like or even like on the next page. Like like, the 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 main the figure who uh, Herman, I guess mm. he's the same. You know, he's the same size in every panel. That's something that always kind of bothers me. And if you look at Spider-Man in the next six panels, he's almost the same size in every panel. Yeah. Ideally, you'd have a close-up, a wide shot, a different angle, but it's sort of just the same thing repeated six times, you know? Yeah. It just doesn't make for a good – for an enjoyable uh, page composition. No,
1: I, I completely agree. Like Even the, the page after that, page, uh, page 12, it's the same thing mm-hmm. where the right. panels are all the same exact size and – uh, Spider-Man in those panels are all, you know, he's he's the same size in every single one. so There's mm-hmm. no like variation in in the the panel layout.
0: Hmm. And that's the thing is that I, as I understand it, apparently uh, the editor in chief Jim Shooter was a fan, big fan of that. Like he actually made Mike Zeck redraw a lot of Secret Wars one really? because yeah, because he wanted everything to be sort of eye level. You know, um, sort of. Wide shot, but I mean, that's just not a, a, an exciting way to tell a story, mm-hmm. you know. And so, I don't know if it was Jim Shooter directing the artist, or I don't know if it was Steve Leola, the art, uh, if it was his decision, but yeah, it just doesn't make for a very um, exciting story, no. you know, a way to tell a story.
1: It, and so, it also really doesn't make for great art as well. Like, the composition might be <laughs> yeah. good, but like, when Spider Man is drawn really small. A lot of times they don't add the webbing and like the detail, which is completely understandable. I'm not saying I don't like that, sure. But when every single panel is like that and it's not needed, mm-hmm. it kind of right. I think takes away from it because I, I really like. I think it was the last uh, Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man that we read. Um, that there was a the, the shot of him swinging through the city. There were three panels right next to each other. Um, And it was Spider-Man was like pretty much the same size throughout those three, but you can see Mm -hmm. his path and his arc and how he was swinging through the city. So when it's like that, I really like it when they do those like more simple, like simple styled Spider-Man in a row to show the action. But here there's nothing really crazy going on that would, you know, warrant for you know each panel to be the same exact uh you know layout and and sure drawing almost every single time
0: yeah right again it's just it's just like no kind of thought put into the decision making right that's the problem i think i mean now getting back to the story quick Mm -hmm. there is a really cool scene at the end of spider-man sort of being locked in this coffin yeah uh, which is cool. I mean, I don't know why they didn't just take off his mask and find out a secret identity, yeah, <laughs> but fine, we can forgive that. But yeah, that was that was kind of a cool scene, you know. And um, he's almost put into this um, incinerator or whatever right. it is, and and then we get to this cliffhanger ending. We find out the vulture is going to be it's back. So good. Um, yep. And you know what's actually? Now that I think about it, um, I think when Tom DeFalco took over later on, one of the things that he consciously did was he tried to revive and bring back all of the old Silver Age villains. I know David Michelinie, Todd McFarlane did the same thing. But I think at this point in Spider-Man history, it seems like they were kind of staying away from them. Hmm. And so the fact that they have the Vulture here is kind of at the time, I think, an oddity, you know? Right. So I think we were kind of lucked out that we got, you know, we get to see the Vulture next mm-hmm. yeah, week. Yeah, this was so this was a cool. lot of
1: fun. Like, the, the ending was, was really great. It also mm-hmm. felt like a classic comic book villain reveal as well. Right. Like, it, it, it was like, the, the for the most part, the this entire issue, I was like, okay, yeah, sure, this is fine. It was just like, kind sure. of generic Spider-Man story. But then, near the end, when they capture him, they have him chained up, you know, he's rolling into the incinerator. I'm like, okay, this is kind of fun. And then, boom, they drop that reveal. I thought that was a lot of fun.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: I really like that.
0: Yep, you're right, classic supervillain mm-hmm. reveal. Now here's the the other um, interesting thing about Spider-Man at the time. He did have three monthly titles, and so Mm -hmm. it is really hard to navigate the continuity and sort of because you know because from one like from Amazing to Spectacular to Marvel Team-Up, there's really almost no way to figure out what order to read them in. And so with that, we come to our next comic, which is (laughs) Marvel Team-Up number ninety-five. That has nothing to do with this story, right? But that's okay. Okay, so next up is Marvel Team-Up number ninety-five. Spider-Man and Mockingbird. So again, this is kind of cool because kind of just a arbitrary starting point for reading Marvel Team-Up, but we get the first official appearance of Mockingbird. Right. Uh, are you familiar with Mockingbird?
1: A little bit, and uh, she was, I think, part of the Agents of Shield comic for a bit. Right, and that's where I know her well, from.
0: Okay, I, you know what? I didn't even know she was in the comic, but she's in the TV show.
1: Oh okay. oh right. I think yeah, I think she yeah. is too. I think I think that's where I know her from at least is is the Agents of Shield comic.
0: Oh, okay. See, yeah. I completely like I lost track of a lot of the newer comics, so um mm-hmm. I'm actually I can't remember her name. I'm just gonna look her up as we're sitting here. Um what is her name? Oh right, Adrian um Polike, I think that's how you pronounce her name. She's also in, of course, the Orville. She's great, great actress. Do you watch the Orville?
1: No, actually, I haven't, but I heard that it's, oh, it's
0: fun. It's really fun. Yeah, I think okay. you should give it a chance. Yeah, she's excellent in both of those shows. Okay,
1: great.
0: So, anyway, Marvel Team Up. You know, I got to say, uh, jumping into this issue, it's written by Stephen Grant, who is um, sort of most famous for doing the Punisher miniseries mm-hmm. as well as a bunch of other things. And it's drawn by Jimmy Janes and Bruce Patterson. And I have never heard of Jimmy Janes before
1: yeah, this comic. Neither have I, yeah, I have no idea who that is.
0: But, you know, it's funny. And I don't know if it's the inking, but I got to say the art, it like, this opening splash page is great, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, the rest of the art, it's not its not great, but it's, at least it's clear and it's neat, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, the inker, Bruce Patterson, I believe he's also the one that worked with George Perez on Wonder Woman. But... He gives it a really nice polish, which is which is something we didn't have in the last issue. Of spectacular, right? Mm. That inking was really messy, so yeah, I really enjoyed the uh, the art on this one. I mean, it wasn't again, it wasn't spectacular art, but it was really clear art, so I really liked right. it. Um, now the story by Stephen Grant. I guess if I could summarize it, I would say because it's kind of a to, to give a quick uh, rundown. Basically, Spider-Man meets. Uh, Mockingbird. Then he's introduced to the new director of Shield, who's also with Colonel Fury. We find out Colonel Fury is a decoy. Then we find he, uh, find out he isn't a decoy. Right. I think the plot is really good in this issue, but I guess the problem with it is that it really feels like it could have been any character, not necessarily Spider-Man,
1: right? Right. Yeah. That, that... like
0: it. It's not really Peter Parker. It, like it is Peter Parker, but it, there's not the him in school. There's not him at the Daily Bugle, right? Mm-hmm. What did you think?
1: Yeah. I. I agree with that and i also think that like it kind of reminds me of of like the the quasar comics we've been reading as well
0: okay. like the, those
1: team like that uh the marvel two-in-one with the thing in in quasar it kind of had that feel sure. to it where you know they're in this this like shield facility rather than project pegasus and the character right. don't really know where each other are at so it's kind of like mm-hmm. this you know Trying to figure out what everybody else is thinking and what their intentions are. Is this person good? Is it? Is she bad? It kind of had that same feel, and and also too with the kind of hokey, you know, bait and switch with Shield sure. again. Like uh-huh. Fury, all like loves to do those kind of fake outs, and mm-hmm, that, that mm-hmm. aren't necessarily set up super great, but it's kind of always like a last minute payoff sure like in, in the quasar comics he or i think it was cap it was the captain america and falcon comic where he had a bunch of these super villains and, and shield agents attack captain america right and then, you know it was just to test him <laughs> him and then to test his agents that he was working with to see if captain America was gonna be good and then in this one he is like He's got like a fake eye contact in to make himself look like a life model decoy, Ridiculous. and then he just kind yeah. of takes it out last minute. Like, guess what? It was me the whole time. Like, it's just those uh-huh. kind of like <laughs> you know ex, Deus Ex Machina type reveals at the end. Like, there's nothing really hinted at it. I right. Don't know. It's kind of a cheat. Yeah.
0: Like it'd be nice. Right. It'd be nice if there was at least a hint of it. Right. So you could kind of go back and. Right. Oh, okay. And it, and you it, know, it feels it's...
1: like that happens a lot with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury, especially yes. the, the comics we've been reading recently together. Like it kind mm-hmm. of feels like this is this, the pattern where S.H.I.E.L.D., there has to be some sort of twist. So what are we going to do? What's Nick Fury mm-hmm. going to do now to kind of surprise everybody and surprise the reader?
0: Um, I also got to say, this is, it's such a strange, you know, storyline because I'm not overly familiar with S.H.I.E.L.D. at this point. I don't know quite what was going on, but the plot of this issue is that Mockingbird has all these secrets right. about uh, Shield, and it's kind of funny because what ends up happening is, is um, she, okay? So the, so Nick Fury <laughs> gives, or no, 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 the other guy gives orders that if Mockingbird is found, she has to be shot on sight. Right. So even though she's now in the middle of a conversation, look there she is. <laughs> they shoot her with guns. Uh, and almost kill her and so now she has to be taken to the hospital right sir we're sorry but we had our orders we were just yeah yeah I no. know <laughs> you was just doing your jobs like it's a little bit over the top yeah, it's kind of violent it doesn't you know? really
1: seem like there's a point to that either the story's done right like it no. just seemed like maybe in the next one it will tie in I'm not sure if if in the next uh, Marvel team up it's going to be. Peter Parker with Agents of Shield and that story's going to continue or not but yeah it really did kind of seem random and kind of tacked on in the end.
0: Yeah. And it's also funny that she's like her she's caught off mid sentence mm-hmm. the evidence yeah. of corruption that shield is brad uh, brad brad and then <laughs> yeah. she gets shot so it's a little bit convenient. Yeah. Oh man. No, you idiots. Hold your fire! I don't know. It just seems... Like, obviously, I know that maybe I'm being a little bit sexist because she's a woman, but I just can't imagine them just opening fire with machine guns on her just because they were ordered to. It just seems kind of ridiculous. Yeah,
1: but. it does seem weird, but, yeah, I'm not... I'm not sure. And, and, again, going back to what you were saying, too, before with, like, not knowing what was going on with S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, why... Mm-hmm. Like, everybody's on edge and has these, like, weird orders. I don't know. I wonder if, if this was the the moment where um, it was starting to be revealed that Hydra was had, has infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. because even this I mean guy when he like takes off his uh, or when he like shows up in like a green and yellow Hydra looking costume
0: uh-huh well here's the thing I'm though correct sure. me if I'm wrong I don't even know if that was ever done in the comics until Maybe after not. the Winter yeah. Soldier movie I don't think so no not as far as I know okay so I mean I think there was always like the idea that there might have been some corruption, but I don't think it was directly uh, said to be um,
1: hydro, particularly.
0: Uh, Hydra, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. So yeah, this I, I think to be honest, like I've only read a handful of Stephen Grant stories, mm-hmm. but I, this kind of reminds me of I think from what I've seen from most of his work, it's always he's really good at action. There's always, it's always really violent, but mm-hmm. um, I guess not not very fun, you know. So. I mean, maybe he was good at doing Punisher. Maybe he's not the right choice for Spider-Man. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think I, I can see that too with how kind of this story leans a little bit more into like the dark serious side. You don't really get a sure. lot of the like fun, lighthearted Spider-Man moments. Not that, not to say that every Spider-Man moment is, is light and lighthearted. But sure. This like if this was a team up with the Punisher, I feel like it would fit more. Because he he definitely has more of that agent, like, very serious side to him. Um, Sure. Like, even down to, like, what we were talking about before with her just being gunned down at the end of the the comic for no reason. Like, it doesn't doesn't feel like that would be in a Spider-Man comic. No, no. And this could, yeah, probably only be done in a Marvel team-up kind of story.
0: You know, and yet, the other thing I feel about this era, because I came into Spider-Man... I mean, like, got like really big mm-hmm. around the time of the Hobgoblin sort of era. Right. And I feel like the Hobgoblin mystery and, you know, that sort of carried Spider-Man along for a long time. And then the Black Costume that happened and that kind of carried things along. And I feel like it, if I was a Spider-Man reader at this point, it would feel almost like Spider-Man was a little bit directionless. Yeah. You know, what do you think? You know, like, I mean, we, we just read four comics two of them were pretty good. One of them was kind of bad. One of them was okay. So my feeling at this point was that it was, the time was ripe for Roger Stern to sort of give them, give the the whole line a boost. I mean, do you get that feeling too? Yeah,
1: for sure. I think that, especially since that there's, there's multiple different uh, comics coming out each month about this popular character, you mm. know, for the amount of, stories that were coming out they didn't really seem like they had much of a direction or a lot of like thought necessarily put into them so right um roger stern coming in was probably a good it was probably a good time for him to come in and kind of pump some life into into the character for sure
0: right and so overall yeah so this issue is a definitely decent but not not quite right i guess mm-hmm. you could say in my opinion so, okay, so <clears throat> so we've just covered June one issue from June and three issues from July 1980 of Spider-Man. Um, we're going to be doing approximately three issues a week, unless there's annuals, then we'll be doing four, possibly five. But basically, we're going to cover one month of real time in one week of reviews, in one episode of reviews. So, um, again, we're going to be starting in June 1980. We're going to be going to at least... 1987-ish. We'll see how things go, depending on how many millions of uh, listeners we have, right? <laughs> right. So, if you do enjoy this pod- podcast, please you know let people know. Please share it. And we are available on YouTube and Facebook. And Josh, our uh, w- our internet web tech genius, is working <laughs> on getting us on... Uh, what is it called again? Uh,
1: we're going to start up an RRS feed. And hopefully yes. our... Our podcast will be on Spotify soon and then probably about a week after it's on Spotify, it'll be on pretty much all of the other podcasting apps. So Stitcher, uh, Apple, uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, um, anything like that. So pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts, you'll soon be able to get this one.
0: Right, and if you enjoy listening to the beautiful sound of our voices, I am also the co-host of a a video web series and TV show called Comic Book Syndicate uh, in which we do uh, comic book and movie reviews and interview creators. And Josh, you also have another podcast, correct? Yeah, uh,
1: me and my friend just started a uh, movie podcast. Um, We always used to watch movies together and kind of talk about them. But now that uh, he's in Halifax and I'm in Windsor, Ontario – we thought it'd be kind of fun to start a podcast where we can still kind of do that and chat about it and show everybody else. So uh, yeah, you can find us on Spotify at J and J lose the plot. Um, Awesome. Yeah.
0: Okay. And I think considering we've, you know, between the two of us, we've launched four podcasts in one month. I believe the ratio of podcasts is now one per human on earth at this point. So, um, yeah, you know, hopefully you'll find the time to listen to at least some of the ones that we do. So, yes, definitely uh, our 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 aim is to do one every Monday. We'll see if we can keep up that pace. But, yes, every Monday you'll see a new or hear a new episode of Here Comes the Spidercast. And, by the way, we're very proud of that title. Yeah. Josh thought of it, right? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's, a great, it's a great title. I love it. Um, and also, please listen to Quasar Chronology and Flea Market Fantasy and...
1: Jay and Jay lose the plot.
0: Right, there yeah. you go. Okay, so we will see you next week right here on Here Comes the Spider Cats. All right, see ya. <laughs>